All right, all right. Well, for you guys in the room, middle school students, high school students, uh, we are in both environments, Revolution uh, downstairs and up here in Reckless on Wednesdays. Last week and, uh, and over the next couple weeks, we're talking through, uh, as we get ready for Easter, kind of the whole Easter story. And, um, and up, up here last week in, uh, in Reckless, we talked about uh, the Lord's Supper. And for us up here, we're, we're in a series right now called What's Up With That? And we're looking at the Easter story, and, and it's some of those things that don't really make much sense to us. You know, things that, like, if we grew up in the church, we've heard about. You know, we know the story for a lot of us. But, but when we actually look at the story, there's a lot of stuff that we look at and we go, I, I just don't get this. This doesn't make much sense to me, or these certain aspects of the story, or why Jesus said this, or why Jesus did this. What's up with that? So that's kind of the, uh, the series that, that we're in currently in high school. And uh, last week, like I said, we looked at the Lord's Supper and how kind of strange that that was when you look at it in detail and, um, and kind of this weird meal that Jesus had with his disciples and it's the night before he's getting ready to go to the cross and just some of the weird things that Jesus said, but for us to understand the significance of why Jesus said the things that he said and why we celebrate communion, why the Lord's Supper is such a big deal and so significant for us. Now tonight... Uh, for, for the next few minutes and, and in just a little bit as Brad comes up, we're gonna, we're gonna take it from there in the story, all right? So it's the night before Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus has just gotten up and the disciples have just gotten up from the, from the table. They've eaten this weird meal with Jesus where he said some strange things. And now they're moving, making their way over to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane, all right? Which is a fun thing to say. So they're off to, to this, this garden called Gethsemane, all right? Now, the disciples have no stinking clue, in, for the most part, what in the world's going on, all right? Jesus is saying strange things. He's acting funny. He's, he's doing some, some things that he doesn't normally do. And so the disciples know that something's going on, that something's in, in Jesus' head, but they don't really understand much. So they're kind of oblivious to what's going on. And as they're making their way to the garden, Jesus is overcome with, with grief and with sadness, all right, in fact, this is, this night and, and this moment that's about to take place is one of the darkest moments that Jesus has faced on his time on earth. Now, if you guys have your Bibles, I wanna open to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and, and we're picking up in this moment, all right? And starting in verse 36, here's what it says. It says, then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he, began, he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, why is it that Jesus would say these words? Why is it that he would say that he's overcome with grief to the point of death? I mean, since the beginning of time, since before the beginning of time, Jesus knew that this moment was gonna come. Jesus knew that he was gonna give his life away on the cross. That was the whole reason why he came to earth. That was God's plan from the very beginning, that Jesus was gonna come to earth and he wasn't just gonna kinda hang out and say some things that we'll look at and remember. Jesus actually came to die. And now as it gets ready to take place, all of a sudden Jesus is overcome with grief, with anguish. I mean, 
think about that for a minute. Have you, have you ever like knew that something was coming and you kind of didn't really look forward to it or you, know, you knew that it was coming but then as, it, as the moment got closer and closer and closer, all of a sudden you start freaking out a little bit. Like, oh man, it's, it's tomorrow or I've got to take it next week. And man, I knew that this was coming but man, all of a sudden now the moment is here. And so it's not just, hey, sometime in the future it's gonna happen. It's literally about to take place right now. And the human side of Jesus is overcome with grief. Jesus starts freaking out a little bit. Now, in, uh, look at what it says in the, uh, in the next verse. It says, he went on a little farther and he bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now look at the first part of what Jesus says. I want to focus on that. He says, Jesus, or God, I want this cup of suffering to be taken away from me. In other words, God, I don't want to go through with this. Like this whole cross thing that we've talked about that we knew was the plan since before the beginning of time, like I'm not, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Take this away from me. Don't let me go through with this. Like find, let's find, figure out something else. I, I'm not ready to do this. I mean, think about how crushed and how sad and that Jesus was literally on the verge of giving up. In, uh, in Luke chapter 22, the same story, just a different gospel, it actually says this. It says, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So Jesus actually gets to the point, he's so stressed out He's so filled with grief and with anguish that he literally starts sweating drops of blood. Now, that, that's actually a medical condition called hematohydrosis, which is also a fun thing to say, hematohydrosis. All right, and it's actually a, a medical condition where humans sweat blood. And it's a very rare condition, but it happens in moments of great grief or stress. It happens when you're, you're, I mean, imagine that. You're so stressed out. You're so freaked out, overcome with, with whatever it is that's, that's before you to the point that blood vessels in your, beneath the skin in your forehead start popping and blood starts coming out of your skin. Only in moments of great stress, and yet that's what happened to Jesus. That, that shows the amount of stress and grief that Jesus was feeling. Now, isn't this crazy we don't often think of Jesus in terms like this, do we? Stressed out, freaked out, almost seeming weak. Like the, the picture that we have of Jesus is confident. Like he's God, he's strong, he's courageous, he's powerful. Like nothing stands up against him. And then we look at a moment like this and it's grief and stressed out and he's asking God, God, I don't wanna do this anymore. And, and he looks different than kind of the Jesus that we have in our mind and that we've understood. And yet it is important, I think, for us to see moments like this and understand something about Jesus. Jesus can identify with God because Jesus was 100% God. Jesus had the divine nature. Jesus was sovereign. Jesus was God himself. And Jesus, nothing can stand up against God. Nothing can come before God. God is in control of everything. 
and Jesus is God, and, and one day every, um, every authority in heaven and on earth will bow before Jesus. So there is that aspect. Jesus is 100% God. But Jesus can also identify with you and with me because Jesus is 100% man. Jesus felt weakness. Jesus felt sadness. Jesus felt grief. Jesus knew what it felt like to be betrayed by people that were close to him. Jesus knew what it felt like to be deserted by the people that said, man, I've got your back no matter what. And then in the moment when he needed them the most, they walked out on him. Jesus knows what it feels like to feel loss. Those moments of sadness. And that's important for you and I to understand because Jesus knows how you and I feel. Those moments of weakness or sadness that you and I feel, maybe on a daily basis sometimes, Jesus has felt that too. Jesus can sympathize with what you're going through or the moments where you felt like, man, I can't take this anymore. I don't know how I'm gonna survive another day. In fact, in Hebrews chapter four, the writer says this, it says, this high priest who is Jesus, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. For just a moment, I want you to think of maybe the the darkest moment that you've faced in your life. Maybe think back to a couple years ago or a couple months ago or maybe it's right now in this moment where you just feel pain or sadness or it just seems like a really dark moment in your life and know that Jesus has felt that too he's not just kind of out there somewhere and looks down and goes oh man it's a shame that you feel the way that you do like Jesus has literally gone through the things that we've gone through he has felt the weakness that we feel in those moments And think of the pain that you have felt and know that Jesus has felt it too. Have you lost somebody that's close to you or that meant a lot to you? Jesus has lost somebody too. Have you gone through a moment where you felt betrayed by people that you thought had your back? Jesus has experienced that same amount of betrayal that you've experienced. And whatever dark moment there is or whatever situation or experience that you've had that led you to that place where you feel like there's no hope or you feel like, man, how am I gonna survive another day? Know that Jesus has experienced that same thing. I mean, think about that. Maybe there's, a, there's something that God is calling you to do and you look at whatever that thing is and you go, God, there's no way that I can accomplish this. God, this task or this situation, it seems too impossible for me. And in this moment in the garden, Jesus felt that very same feeling. God, how can I go through with this? This thing that you have called me to seems too impossible, too much for me to go through. When we experience those moments of weakness or sadness or you're right in the moment, we look to God and we want God to kind of take us out of that. 
right? God, take this pain away, take this sadness away that I feel, or take me out of this situation. And Jesus prayed the exact same thing. God, I can't go through with this. God, I I can't do this. God, I'm feeling grief and anguish. God, I'm not sure that this plan that you have is the best plan. And imagine how different the story could be if God said, all right, look, I'm looking down on my son, my my beloved son, who, who I love more than anything else, God in the flesh. All right, you know what? I can't stand to watch you be in pain or suffer any longer. So let me just pull you out of that situation and let's figure something else out. And imagine how different the story would be if God did that. Those moments where you feel like, God, would you take the pain away? God, would you not allow me to suffer any longer? And God could, in fact, take those moments away from you or take you out of that or take the pain away. And yet, oftentimes, just like with Jesus, in this moment, this is part of a greater story. Jesus' pain and his suffering that he's feeling is part of a greater story that God is writing. Jesus had to go through it. The suffering was part of God's plan, not because God is cruel, but because God sent Jesus to die so that you and I could go free. And maybe in the moments where we feel like, man, God, if you love me so much, why don't you just take this pain away? Maybe in those moments God's saying, you know what, I'm allowing you to go through it because it's part of a greater story that I'm writing. So push through and hold on. Rather than me pull you out of it, I want you to go through it because I'm writing something incredible through your pain. The significant moment happens in that next verse, in verse 39, where he says, yet not my will be done, but yours. Where even in the moment where Jesus said, look, I don't know how I'm gonna go through this, He still said, but God, I want to do what you want me to do. God, your will be done. And even though from a human standpoint, I want to get out of here, I can't do this anymore. God, I know that this is part of the plan. And so he found the strength to push through and to endure, knowing that God's story was about to be told. That God was going to use the suffering and the pain and the anguish to bring life and freedom to you and to me. His suffering had a purpose. His pain had a purpose. And the same strength that allowed Jesus to push through in that moment and to get up and go to the disciples with that resolve and to say, all right, let's go, let's do this, is the same strength that's made available to you and to me in those moments. God, I went out of here, but may we say, God, your will be done. God, whatever you want me to do, I'll endure it, I'll push through it, because I believe that you're writing something more incredible through what I'm dealing with right now. God, your will be done. And we can say that because Jesus in this moment said that, and he overcame, and we can too. God, thank you so much for this story. God, thank you for the truth. That, God, you endured incredible amount of stress to the point that you were ready to throw in the towel. And, God, had that have been true of you, God, where would we now stand? 
lost in our sins, separated from you still. Jesus, thank you that you endured and you pushed through those moments of intense pain and suffering, knowing that the story that was going to be written required you to endure and to push through and to go all the way to the cross to bring life and hope and freedom to you and uh, to us. God, I pray if there are students in the room tonight who feel the same thing, God, may we be willing to endure, to push through, knowing that in those moments of hopelessness, God, you give us hope. You walk through with us. Your presence is there with us. And you give us the strength to endure. And that you're writing something incredible in the midst of it. God, we praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen. All right, so Jesus has just accepted this plan. He's accepted God's plan for what is to come for him very, very soon. And he's come back and he's, he's back with his disciples in this garden at Gethsemane. He comes back to him and as soon as he gets there, he's met with the very beginning of this plan that's about to play out. The thing he was agonizing over, the thing he was dreading, the thing that he was sweating blood over, but he accepted begins as soon as he accepts it when he gets back to his disciples. So we're going to pick up Matthew 26. We're going to keep reading, pick up right where Todd left off, okay? And this is what happens next. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. He's talking to Judas, okay? Judas is one of his disciples, right? He's one of the 12. He's hung out with Jesus. If you were in high school last week, the last supper, he was there. He ate Jesus' last meal with him. He has been with him this whole time, okay? So he's walking up to Jesus now. Jesus just came back from praying, and this is what's going down. Jesus says, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. So we have some ninja action going on. We have an ear being lopped off as Jesus is getting uh, arrested. Um, Verse 52, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So there at the very end, again, we see Jesus submitting to God's will, to his plan, and following through with it. So let's draw out a couple things from this. Jesus is betrayed by a guy he just shared a meal with, and he washed his feet. I don't know, I just wanted to highlight that because that's such a servant thing to do. Jesus did this with his disciples, washed Judas's stinky, nasty feet. Some of you have stinky, nasty feet. Anybody in here have stinky, nasty feet? Imagine the Son of God washing your feet. It's very humbling to think about that. It's like, what? That's kind of weird and gross. Well, Jesus did that to his disciples. He washed Judas' feet, and then he shared his last meal with him. And this is the guy that is handing him over to be arrested right now in this garden. So Jesus has just been betrayed by one of his close friends. And then Jesus, here's, I love this whole thought, okay? Jesus gets on to Peter who just lopped off the dude's ear. You know, he got all a fruit ninja style on us and he just like, he cut off an ear. He's like, no, 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 put that away. Don't you know I could have like legions of angels here at any given moment? Um, I looked up how many are in a legion because I don't just know that kind of information. Um, anywhere from 3,000 to 6,000 can be in a legion. And 
he said more than 12. So if you went conservative and there were tw- exactly 12 legions and there were only 3,000 in it, that'd be 36,000 angels. If you went kind of on the higher end, 6,000 angels in a legion and there was just 12 of them, that's 72,000. So we're going to say round about 50 because he said more than 12. So around 50,000 angels, give or take, thousands, could be at his disposal at any moment. So does he need Peter like trying to lop off some dude's ear? No, he doesn't need that because he's Jesus and he could have thousands and thousands of angels at his back at any given moment. Is that not just a cool thought? Jesus with thousands of angels like battle ready in, his, in the background, like big old wings, swords, just like ready to go. Like what? What, you're going to arrest Jesus? No, you're not. He could, he could totally do that with all these angels. But he chooses not to, which is a good reminder for us at this point to remember, Jesus is God. Yes, he's totally human. He's totally man like Todd talked about. But he's also God, all-powerful, commands legions of angels, is super tight as in one with the Father, the Creator. In fact, Jesus helped create all of us. So he's betrayed He's got command of all these angels. He's God, okay? God just got betrayed. Do you want to be Judas at this point? No. I mean, I don't. But that's what's going down right now in this moment. He's submitted to the plan. He's been betrayed. And he is God. So let's keep reading. Verse 55, right after that, it says, In the hour Jesus said to the crowd, in that hour he said to the crowd, I'm leading, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. Now Jesus is a what? Starts with an A, ends with a rabbi. You're geniuses. It's great. Rabbi, yeah, good job. Um, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. He teaches in the synagogue. He's, he's kind of like a pastor nowadays. That's what he's doing. And so he's been doing that in the synagogue day after day, and nobody arrested him. And now I like the way he asked this question because it seems a little sarcastic. Like I, I like to think Jesus had a little sarcastic edge to him. Because he's like, listen, I've been doing this all the time. You guys never arrested me. I mean, am I leading a rebellion? Why you got to come with swords and clubs? Have I been beating people up? Have I been throwing down, going MMA on some fools? No, he hadn't been doing any of that. So why are they coming at him with swords and clubs? And so I love that he asked that question because it's kind of like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you coming at me with swords and clubs coming to arrest me? I've been doing this forever. You guys haven't said anything. I haven't been beating people up. I'm not stabbing people with swords, cutting people's ears off. That was that dude. And I told him to stop. And so it's funny to me that he's asking this question. But then verse 56, it says, But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Again, he comes right back to this is God's plan. This is God's plan. Then all the disciples, I want to highlight this last part, okay? Then all of the disciples, all of his peoples, all of his friends, all of his posse deserted him. And they all fled. So Jesus, who is God, is betrayed. Okay, don't want to be Judas. Hanging out in the garden with his disciples. Then he gets arrested. All of his disciples leave him. And so we have God, the all-powerful Jesus, the Messiah, hanging out in this garden, being betrayed, and now being totally 
deserted and abandoned by his friends. He's alone, being arrested by all these dudes with swords and clubs, putting him in chains, and taking him away in the middle of the night. Jesus. It's unbelievable what he went through. Let's go to John 18. Now, all the Gospels have an account of these last moments of Jesus' life, okay? And John 18 has some more that are right in the same timeline here. It says, meanwhile, the high priest, now Jesus has been arrested, now he's been taken to the high priest, okay? The high priest are the people who are over the Jewish church, okay? All the Jewish people who are hanging out in this area, Jesus is Jewish. So this is the high priest, the people who are running the church. Are you with me? Okay, so he's being questioned by them. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teachings, okay? He's all alone being questioned by these people. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I have always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Okay, a couple things we got to pull from this, okay? What is one of the most disrespectful things you can do to somebody? (laughs) Spit on their face. Keep that image in your mind, yes. A lot of you said it. Slap somebody. Have you ever seen somebody literally just, and maybe you have experienced this, you get slapped just five fingers right across the face. Maybe you've done that to somebody. Okay, I want you to think about the feelings that you have when you get slapped in the face. If you've been slapped, you know what I'm talking about. If you've never been slapped, imagine if someone just came across and smacked you in the face with their open hand. It's like one of the most disrespectful things you can do to somebody. I get mad just thinking about it right now. Like if one of you walked up to me, do not do this, especially you. Don't come up here and smack me in the face. But if you did, I'm not kidding you, I would get so angry, even if I deserved it. Even if I just insulted your mama and you came up here and slapped me, I would be mad at you. Even if I was in the wrong, it wouldn't matter because slapping is such a disrespectful thing and it's so personal. Me and my brother had this thing growing up. We never really fought like fist fought. We would always just like get in yelling matches and shoving matches and stuff. But we had this rule. You never touch the other person's face. Like you just never do it. Because it's so like personal and it's your face, man. Don't mess with my face. And Jesus, God, is slapped for how he talked to the high priest. There I keep saying it's Jesus because that's super important to this whole thing. I'm not talking about some Joe Schmo. I'm not talking about Sally down the street. I'm talking about Jesus, the creator and the perfecter of everything. He got slapped in the face by a man for how he talked to another man. And both those men are dumb. Like, mess up all the time, not perfect, they're not God at all. And I love the question. He says, is that how you talk to the high priest? Who is the ultimate high priest? Jesus! Do you get the irony here? It's unbelievable. Jesus gets smacked in the face for how he talked to the high priest when he's the ultimate high priest. 
If anything, that hand should have just bounced off of his face and smacked the dude in his own face or something. Like, it would have been amazing because that would have been what should have happened. And I love Jesus' response. Did I say something wrong? That's how Jesus responds to this guy. Remember, he could have 50,000 angels at the drop of a hat if he wanted. And he's like, did I say something wrong? If I did, please tell me. He's like polite. It blows my mind. Um, Mark chapter 14, okay? Jesus gets disrespected. He gets smacked in the face for how he talks to a high priest when he's the ultimate high priest. It's the ultimate irony. And then we go to Mark chapter 14. Again, all the gospels have an account of this process of him being questioned and being arrested and being abandoned and being disrespected. So let's look at Mark chapter 14, verses 61 through 65. But Jesus remains silent. He's being questioned. He keeps kind of just being quiet. They keep throwing accusations at him. They keep saying these things about him. He keeps silent during this questioning. But Jesus remained silent. He gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and they beat him. So Jesus is condemned to death in these verses. They're questioning him. They're asking him these things. They finally just keep coming at him, drilling him. Hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for for years and years and years? Our Savior, are you him? Are you saying you're him? And all he says is, I am. And we don't have time to go into that, but just by saying I am, he's saying so many things. It's the Old Testament name of God. He's also saying, yes, I am. So, so many things are wrapped up in those two little words, but he says, yeah, that's me. And then he elaborates a little bit. High priest tears his clothes, which is a sign, Jewish sign, disrespect, disapproval, mourning, not good. It's a bad sign. You see a Jewish guy rip his clothes, bad things are about to go down. (laughs) That sounded weird. Um, It's a cultural thing. (laughs) We're going to keep moving. (laughs) Jesus is spit on and he is beaten and he is mocked all in this whole, this whole process, okay? He's questioned. He says, yes, I'm the Messiah. Then at this point, condemned to death. Then they blindfold the guy. They spit on him. One of you guys said the most disrespectful thing you could do is spit on somebody. That's what they do to Jesus. They start to hit him. They start to mock him. Oh, prophesy. Who hit you? Who just hit you? Oh, was it me? Was it him? Oh. You don't even know because you're blindfolded. They seriously are doing this to him. And who are we talking about again? Jesus. They're doing this to Jesus. The dude who ate with these people that nobody else would eat with, the dude who healed people who couldn't see, the people who helped people walk who had been lame their whole life, the people who hung out with these dirty, stinky fishermen for three years and taught them how to follow him, this guy is getting beaten up and spit on and mocked. 
It's crazy. And so here's the progression we see, okay? Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's arrested by the guards. He's abandoned by all of his disciples. He's disrespected in more ways than we can even count. He's condemned to death. And then he's beaten and mocked on top of all of this. In one night, as soon as he submitted to God's plan, this is what happened to him. It starts to make sense why he was sweating blood and why he was like, I don't know God. But this is what he endured. And in all of this, Jesus didn't sin. I look at any one of those things on that list, and I'm probably going to start to sin. Even if it's not physical, like you can't see me doing it, I'm thinking stuff. I'm wanting bad things to happen to people. I'm hoping people close their eyes as they cross the street. Like I'm wanting bad stuff to happen. I mean, I'm, I'm going to struggle with sin for sure with just one of those things. But all of those things happen to him, and he never sins during any of it. And he doesn't respond in the same way that people are treating him. I've heard people say, and, and I've said this before, man, you know, if, if somebody treats me a certain way, let's say they talk junk about me, I'm going to talk junk right back to them. I'm not going to put up with that. I'm going to say the same thing back to them. Somebody punches me in the face, I'm going to punch them back in the face harder than they punch me in the face. They kick me in the shin, I'm going to cry, and then I'm going to kick them in the shin. So eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? That's kind of how most of us operate. That's how a lot of us think. Is that how Jesus operated, though? Is that how he proceeded to respond to these people who were doing these things to him? Because I look at this and I'm like, man, I really thought when I was talking junk to other people and and hitting somebody who just hit me, I I thought I was just kind of standing up for myself. I justified it. I thought I was in the right. But I look at how Jesus responds to this stuff and I'm like, it's a little different. It's definitely not how I've been doing things. And so my question to you and to me is how would you respond to this? If you're Jesus back in the day, son of God, perfect, never did anything wrong, get arrested, get disrespected, you get slapped in the face, you get abandoned by everybody you love, you get mocked, you get hit, all these things happen to you and you don't deserve any of them. And at any moment, you could make it all go away. You could destroy all these people if you wanted to. Would you respond the way Jesus responded? And I'm going to change it from what would you do to what do you, how do you respond to this? Because this happens all the time. We go through similar things all of the time. We have people disrespect us. We have people we love abandon us. We have people spit in our face, either literally or figuratively a lot of times. We have people betray us. We have people mock us. This stuff happens every day in our life. So it's not just what would you do, but what do you do? We see what Jesus did, but what do you do? How do you respond? And maybe the better question isn't even do you respond like Jesus does, because He calls us to respond like he does. He calls us to follow him. But maybe the question is this, are you the Pharisee or the disciple? Are are you the one putting Jesus on trial, constantly questioning, constantly 
insulting, constantly. Maybe you slap him in the face with your actions, with your words. Maybe you disrespect him in the way that you act when you say one thing, but then you act another way. Maybe you're a disciple where as soon as it gets tough, you tuck tail and run. I don't know who you are in this story, but at the end of the day, everybody in this story messes up except for Jesus. And Jesus responds to all of them the same. He loves them. The people who spit on him, the people who hit him, people who arrest him, the people who betray him. He just loves them. All of them. His disciples, his accusers, the people who eventually kill him. He loves them all. Those of us in the room who disrespect him with the way we talk, the way we act, the way we treat other people. He loves you. He loves you. So if you're ever asking yourself, why did he go through this? Why did he submit to this plan? Why did he say yes? You are the answer. He loves you. His love for you is what made him go through this. His love for you is what made him want to take that spit in the face, that slap in the face, and not retaliate with thousands of angels. Because if he did that, the plan wouldn't happen. We wouldn't have a way to know God. But he did it. And so we do have a way to know God forever. We have a way to know God now. And when our body's dead and gone, our souls can live on forever in eternity with heaven, in heaven with Jesus forever because he did this. So if you came here tonight and you don't know Jesus, you can. It's super simple. He just asks you to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's Lord, that he loves you, that he came to save you. Call out for him and he will rescue you. For those of us in the house who are Christians, we're coming up on Easter. That's the whole reason we're going into this. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. Not just at Easter, but every single day. Because it affects every single thing we do. It's so easy to go out of this place and think, oh, you know, I got church at church. When I'm at school or when I'm at home, I've got my own thing going. No, no, no. This thing... His love for us affects everything. John 13 says, Jesus gives us a new command and he's talking to his disciples right before he leaves them. And he's trying to give them a heads up. He's like, listen, you, you guys, I'm about to leave you, but you need to love each other the way that I've loved you. Because that's how people will know that you're my disciples, that you're with me, that you know me. If Jesus can love the people that persecuted him, that betrayed him, that abandoned him, that arrested him, that spit on him and eventually killed him, if he can love those people and he can love us, because let's be honest, we're those people. He's worthy to give our life to. He's worthy to know. He's worthy to follow so that we can go and love other people and we can go and show that love and how we treat people and how we act and how we talk. So where you're at, let's just pray together. Again, if you don't know Jesus, I, I just want to ask you to, to ask somebody about that. Talk to somebody about that. You can just pray right there in your seat. God, I want to accept Jesus. I want to 
accept the forgiveness of my sin. I want to repent. If you do that in your seat, however you want to do it, the Bible says you're saved. But I just want to pray for all of us in here tonight that we would respond to this love, this, this love that God offers us, that Jesus offers us because he went through this plan. He accepted this plan. He endured it all because of you and for me. So God, help us to never, ever forget that you love us. Whether we respond the way Jesus did when we're betrayed or when we're disrespected, God, whether we're the Pharisee that's disrespecting Jesus in the way we act or we talk, or whether we're the disciple that abandons Jesus when the going gets tough, God, I just pray that all of us would embrace your love. We remember that we can follow you. We can love you. We can pursue you. We can live the way you've called us to, but only because of Jesus. And Jesus is worth following because of the things he went through, the things that he went through to show us that he loves us, to prove it to express it, and to make a way for us to know God forever. So God, let us rest in that truth. Let us rest in that love. Let us rest in that grace, God. We thank you so much for it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.